Welcome to the Leadership Playbook, the show where successful leaders share what they learn to get to where they are. This podcast is an offshoot of the Albers Executive Speaker Series. And it's brought to you by RSMUS LLP, the nation's leading provider of assurance, tax, and consulting services focused on the middle market. I'm your host, Joe Phillips, the Dean of Seattle University's Albers School of Business and Economics. Thank you for coming to this edition of the Albers Executive Speaker Series. My name is Joe Phillips. I'm the Dean of the Albers School, and I'm delighted to have you here. This evening, as you know, we have Eric Art, CEO of REI, as our speaker. And as you probably know, REI is a specialty outdoor... Well, as you obviously know, REI is a specialty outdoor retailer with 20 million members and 15,000 employees. Now, how many of us are members? All right, great, great turnout. This is our first speaker series event since February of 2020. We had to transition the series to a series of podcasts because of COVID, and we're delighted to bring it back tonight, but the format, as you can tell if you've been here before, is a little bit different, which, you know, is fine. And I'd also like to mention that this is the first speaker series event under the watch of our new president, Eduardo Peñalver. So let's welcome him. Welcome, Eduardo. Besides Eric Arts and me up on the stage are three panelists who I will introduce to you later. If you've attended the series before, you'll notice the format is different, as I said. It's going to be mostly Q&A. Eric will speak for a few minutes at the front end, and then I'll ask questions that have been crowdsourced from our registration process. And then our panelists have some questions as well. So we'll basically be taking turns and we're not planning for any questions from the audience tonight. So a little bit about Eric. He served as president and CEO of REI since 2019. He joined REI in 2012 as the chief financial officer and was promoted to chief operating officer in 2014. In his time at REI, he's overseen activities in digital, retail, finance, corporate strategy, and IT. And previously, he was CFO at Urban Outfitters and spent 17 years at VF Corporation, which owns brands such as the North Face. So please join me in welcoming Eric Arts to Seattle University. Thank you. Thank you, Dean. And thank you all for being here this evening. It's a joy to be with you, and similar to perhaps what you all are experiencing, this is the first time in almost two years I've been in a room with this many people. So I find it very energizing and feel your energy just to be back together or be together. But it is a little strange, but uh, wonderful to be here with you. I thought maybe I'd just say a few things about myself and my career and bridge that for just a few minutes into REI and hopefully... You know, that will give us a good frame to engage in a conversation and some of the questions you may have tonight. I grew up in small town Pennsylvania, a super, super rural part of Pennsylvania. Farming, coal region, my mother was a nurse, my father was a teacher and a coach. And I share that with you because there's going to be a bit of a theme as I go through this conversation about values and impact. But it was a small town that was very focused on family values and community and service an upbringing that was very focused on thinking about the next generation and making it better, impact, do something with your life. My father would say to me often, are you doing everything you're capable of doing? Hmm, interesting question, Dad, thank you. But, you know, I'm an Army veteran, found my way out of the small town and and went to school, and, and to the dean's intro there, I found my way into consumer products. And that all led me to my time here at REI, which began about 10 years ago. But I, I want to pause for a second and, and just talk about a little bit about, you know, my entry or how I feel about working at REI. And I've said this often, and I'll, I'll share it with you. I find my experience in my time here at REI to be very much of a calling. It's not a job for me, it's a calling. And why do I say that? Well... I think it begins with having the privilege of working with an organization that is purpose-driven and values-oriented. I'll go back to those roots in Pennsylvania, community, service, care for the outdoors, care for community. I think about the opportunities that we have here as an organization to drive change and, and make a difference and have an impact. So 
When I think about the calling of being here at REI, I think about my wife and my daughters and what I do outside of work, where my passions are from an outdoor perspective. What I'm getting at is my circle of life from what I do professionally to the impact that I hope to have on this world and, and setting things up for future generations. I can achieve that with an organization like REI and where I spend my time, the passion for, for time spent outdoors and biking and triathlons, thanks to Mr. Hooper and what he's got me into. But that circle of life is really important to me at this point in my career. And I share that with you. I also have two daughters, one of which is college age. And I always try to give her some level of counsel relative to follow your passions, follow what you care about. And my point in all that is I have this amazing opportunity to work for an organization that allows me to have a very tight circle of life where things are connected, where I can live my passion and make a difference in the world. And I just can't think of anything better. And there are times in my career when I made other choices, but I feel very fortunate to be here. Bridging to REI. Sorry, Dean, I'm going to be quick here because I know you want to get on to some juicy questions. Um, you know, REI, a consumer cooperative, 20 million members, a different type of company just based upon what it is as a cooperative. It's been around for 83 years. And the Dean's intro, you know, I stand on the shoulders and my predecessors who grew this organization to a 20 million member community. I believe my job and my obligation in, in stewarding this, uh, this organization is to think about the next 80 years. What must we do now? What chapter must we write now to ensure the next 80 years of this great institution? And when we look up and when we look forward to challenges that we have from a broad societal perspective, I would put on the table that we have two significant existential threats that we're very focused on at REI. One is climate change, the climate crisis, and the second is racial equity or inequity in this country and frankly, the intersection of the two. So what we do at REI, what we think about, begins and ends with this idea of purpose. We are here to inspire and enable a life outside for everyone. And when we think about that from a long-term perspective, there are clear challenges that we face. So we again think of our business as a flywheel. The more good we do pursuing some of these significant societal challenges, the better our business is. The better our business is, the more good we can do, the more impact we can have on things that really matter for future generations and the future of REI. That's a lot to get out, but hopefully that gives us a start. No, that's a start great, in. thank you. That's a great foundation for the rest of our discussion tonight. So I'm gonna do a short intro of our panelists that you see up here, and then we'll go to questions. So closest to me is Dennis Dogen. He is a student from Brühl, Germany, studying for a master's of science in finance here at Seattle U. His undergraduate degree is in sports management from Old Dominion University in Virginia. And he's also a member of the Seattle U men's soccer team playing as a midfielder. Then furthest from me is Maya Hirota. She's a junior and she's majoring in marketing and management. She is from Kent, Washington, which up until recently was the headquarters of REI, right? Maya is also a student athlete. She's part of the women's rowing team at Seattle U. And when she's not out on the water, she likes to read, eat good food, and most importantly to Eric Arts, ski in the mountains, right? Then finally, we have Clay Walton House. Clay is a graduate of the Albers School as an undergrad and has spent his career in the customer strategy space, working both for brands and as a consultant. He currently serves as REI's Divisional Vice President of Membership which means he's overseeing membership development and related services and products. Prior to REI, Clay worked as a consultant on customer retention and loyalty, first at Lenati and then later at PK. And Clay loves to spend time adventuring outdoors and also supporting local nonprofits doing social justice and environmental stewardship work. So those are our panelists. Dennis is closest, so he gets to go first. Dennis, what's your first question? Guten Tag. Guten Tag, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, first of all, for taking your time today. And yeah, my first question uh, has to do with the pandemic. So what was the biggest challenge for you and your company during the pandemic? Boy, biggest challenge. Well, I think, I think it begins with health and safety and it begins with our people. If we all go back to March of 2020, there was so much we didn't know in those early days. So, you know, some of those hardest moments we're trying to figure out, how are you going to keep people safe? How are we gonna keep this amazing institution alive for 80 years? 
And I think probably the hardest moment was a Sunday morning where we mustered our board and I had to tell the board that my recommendation is to shut down our stores in service to our communities and our people so that we could keep people safe. And that is a gut-wrenching like moment when you completely turn off the tap to something that's been around for 80 years with absolutely no visibility to what the outcome might be. So a very hard decision, but also one that was probably pretty easy from a values perspective. But boy, scary in terms of what may lie ahead. Just to finish the story so I don't leave you hanging, it's all worked out wonderfully. We've kept our people safe. About the time we shut down our stores, we realized just how the consumer is going to embrace the outdoors. So we've been chasing our business ever since, and the news flash for 2021 will be we'll most likely have a record year just in terms of the performance of the business. But in those first dark days, that was tough to get your head around. How can we keep people safe and how can we keep this business alive? So I'm going to ask a related question. Supply chain issues for REI, what can you tell us about them in recent months, right? That everybody's been talking about that issue. How about for you? Yeah, don't plan on a car top box, a bike, or a boat anytime soon. (laughs) You know, similar to, I think, what we're all facing as consumers, broadly speaking, we have significant challenge in almost every step of the supply chain. You know, per my bio, I spent a lot of time, I lived in Asia in our supply chain and previous companies. I've never seen a situation where every piece in the chain is somehow impacted from, you know, when Vietnam in Malaysia shut down because of pandemic issues a few weeks ago, they don't mess around. They close the factories. That is, you know, incredibly disruptive. We go to the ports and labor and trucking shortages and container shortages. We come over here to the congestion. We even had uh, four containers caught in the Suez Canal fiasco not too long ago. So it has been a significant challenge. I would say from, you know, as I think about the audience and what you all have studied and what you're going through, I think you're, you're walking into a, a workplace with an incredible desire to innovate and change and be much more agile than we were in the past. So I think there's one school of thought that says things are gonna get better and we're gonna continue to kind of optimize against the way things used to work, or we're gonna have to be disruptive and innovative and figure out completely different ways to rewire our supply chains and be, be more agile. And it's gonna be much more about the latter than the former. So a tremendous amount of opportunity to innovate and figure out our way through that. The punchline being that I don't think it's going to get better anytime soon. I think we're in for this for a number of years when you put supply chain labor and a bunch of other dynamics against it. Great. So Eric, I've got a a somewhat self-serving question for you here. I thought I'd put you on the spot. As Dean Phillips mentioned in my bio, I'm responsible for thinking about membership at the co-op. And One of the things we are really oriented toward internally, as Eric said in his brief remarks, we have a a member community of 20 million people today. And by 2030, we have a goal of expanding that member community all the way up to 50 million members. And that's a big goal for us. That's very ambitious. And so, Eric, what are some of the things that you think we just have to get right as we are trying to reach a broader audience who may not know us and we're trying to build relationships with them? Yeah, allow me to go back and then go forward to your question. Go back just to say a little bit more about the 50 million goal. I think what's unique about REI as a cooperative is that, you know, we have an obligation to turn towards one another to take on some of these societal problems. So it's not that we're just trying to grow a membership base that's been predominantly dividend and transaction focused in the past. Our aspiration is actually to grow to a 50 million member community that's engaged and fighting for some of these pressing societal issues that we face, climate change and racial equity. So that's a pretty daunting assignment, and it has to occur at all levels in terms of the business, engaging the customer, policy at the national and state level. It's a big agenda item for us. Your question about what must we get right in this journey, I, I mentioned earlier my obligation being to help us look out and think about you know, the threats that we might face. Well, in 2044, 2045, we're gonna cross over to the new majority. 
So the future of REI and our ability to achieve 50 million is very much dependent upon us attracting a new and a young customer, a new, younger, more diverse customer than we have today. What do we have to get right? We have to get DEI right. You know, we have to come from what's been a very predominantly white industry to one that is approachable and relevant that has a bigger welcome mat for more customers that can meet them where they are and partner with them in terms of what, you know, their community, the solutions that they need from an outdoor perspective. And I think as an outdoor industry, as REI, we have a tremendous amount of work to do. Even the word outdoors is very much of a white normative type of word. Connection to nature can be walking outside your your back door, a community park, a community park on the weekend where your family gathers for a picnic and a festival. Those are all relevant experiences, I think, for REI in the future. But we have to get that right. And I think it comes back to just you know showing up and being present with that, that future customer. Yeah, so I know you were talking about like reaching a younger generation of customers to like grow your membership. And so with platforms like TikTok, Gaining popularity among the younger generation, are you looking to putting resources like into growing your brand on these sorts of platforms? Absolutely. I, I'll, I'll throw that question to Clay. No, just kidding. But yes, I think you know part of evolving with a new customer base is again meeting them where they are, how they're communicating and interacting with one another, and being present in that journey. So whether it's TikTok today or you all fill in the blank tomorrow, we've got to keep pace you know, with social engagement and those types of things to be, to be relevant for sure. I can layer in a little bit here. So one, we are actually on <laughs> Thanks, TikTok. Thanks, We are on TikTok. And you'll find that I think there's some pretty interesting, engaging, and, and educational content on there as well. And, and one of the things that you'll also notice if you go to the REI YouTube channel, for example, is that there's been a lot of work to develop really creative ways of providing information that's both really valuable to people who are trying to learn more about how to get outdoors, what gear they might need, what education they might need, how to go find those resources, but also do it in a way that is candidly fun and entertaining. And so I would definitely encourage you to go check that out. It's a great question. And the brand is doing a lot to try to, as Eric said, meet people where they are. Yeah, so my next question is, how has your leadership approach, or your approach to leadership changed since you arrived at a co-op company like REI, since you've been at a, two publicly traded companies like Urban Outfitters or BF Corporations? Oh, gosh, you guys have tough questions. You know, I think where I might start there gets back again to the very essence of, of REI. And the way we look at our business is very much focused on a quadruple bottom line. So business, members, society, and what am I missing? Employees, thank you. <laughs> By definition, it causes you to have to think very differently about your enterprise. What are your priorities? How are you gonna lead against the quadruple objective? So, you know, I think a bit of the answer to your question is almost by force of what we are, my leadership has to adapt to one that is much more servant and empowering for the organization to figure out how to balance those, those choices that we have in our business. I don't think REI can survive if it's too much of a hub and spoke type of environment. I believe decisions need to be made closest to the customer and with a quadruple bottom line, I spend a lot of my time and a lot of my leadership time trying to you know, communicate well relative to our vision and our strategy that is very empowering for the employee, and at the same time, work equally hard on the leadership behaviors and norms that are gonna be required for leaders to be comfortable and engage in those conversations. Even a conversation like DEI, that, that can be a very interesting journey for leaders to go on, and I've had to go on all those journeys. A little bit in contrast, when I work for the other businesses, I almost consider life to be easy. I know what the shareholder wants because I know what the ratio is that fuels our stock price. We've told the street what we need to grow to, so that's what we got to do. That provides a tremendous amount of clarity. But when you have to balance that against societal impact and how your employees are feeling about the moment and, and their safety and their passion about the things that you're doing, it takes on a whole different dimension. So. 
I began this journey 10 years ago thinking that I know a lot. I sit before you today thinking I know a hell of a lot less today than I knew 10 years ago. Okay, here's a question you're going to like because it, it's clearly one sent in by somebody who feels like they've spent too much money at REI, right? <laughs> it's a very simple question and it is, how did you manage to make REI addictive? <laughs> right? Well, I think that's, that's the great outdoors, right? One of the things that I've certainly learned, I assume many people have learned going through COVID is that COVID has taught us what matters most. I think I mentioned earlier, I have two young daughters. What mattered most to me, I'll forever mem remember is my senior in high school at the time thought her life ended. Mine just began because we could go for a walk at dinner uh, or after dinner and we weren't doing those types of things in the past. So what matters most, I think what we certainly see in our business right now is that the outdoors really matters to people from a health wellness, mental perspective, connection, memory, joy. If I think about all the stories our family tells and, and retells around the campfire, all of them are associated with time outside. So I think the addiction is not REI. I think the addiction is the great outdoors and nature, and, and that's the beauty of working for this organization. So Eric, given all the change around us, uh, as we've been talking about here, and the change on the horizon for REI and the transformation ahead, what are some of the personal tools you lean on as a leader as we're going through this, this change? I said this to my daughter when she graduated from high school. I'm not sure she really got it <laughs> or has quite absorbed it, but my comment was, sweetie, find the biggest tent you can find and then fill it with, with as many people as you can find. And the people that you put in the tent, make sure they're people that care dearly about you. Make sure they're people that can be brutally honest with you. Make sure they're people that can inspire you, challenge you at the right time, and just fill that tent up. Because there's gonna come a day when you're, you're gonna need that tent. So as I think about you know, some of the questions and the challenges I've gone through in COVID, my gosh, have I leaned on my tent of, of people and advisors, mentors that I've worked with in the past. How are you dealing with this? Are you feeling as crazy as I'm feeling? Because this is, this, is, this is nuts, right? And sometimes there's just comfort in knowing that other people are going through the same thing. In many cases, it's we are feeling the same thing, and we've tried this, and it was a disaster. We tried that, and it's really successful. So I would say the first thing is get a big tent and fill it up. I think the thing that I appreciate more and more as I go through my career is just a little bit of a, a mental frame of mind-body craft, mind-body craft. I think in the earlier part of my career, I was very focused on the craft side of things. You know, get out of school, get a job, get a promotion, you know, build a family, move on, another promotion, those types of things. Body was young. <laughs> and seemed to be more pliable, so I didn't have to train as much to do the things I want to do. And the mental side, I'll take care of that. I can handle, you know, what comes at me, and what I certainly know and respect now sitting in this role is the balance that I have to achieve, the intention I have to put in my day between mind, body, craft is super important. If I get out of tilt, I did it today, I had a very busy day, I knew I had some things to do tonight, I skip my workout for the morning. This is not my best day. My best days occur when I can you know, absorb and challenge myself mentally, get my workout in, get through my day. There's something in that balance that I think we're always trying to work out, but it's very intentional for me now. Yeah, so my next question for you, Eric, is do you predict any sort of permanent changes to the company as a result of COVID? Absolutely in every corner of the business. <laughs> it's been a very interesting journey to go through because it just seems like everything you pick up is one or two clicks off from what it needs to be in the future from what it was pre-COVID. And in many cases, there are profound learnings, compensation strategies, where we put stores, uh, this idea of membership and moving to a more diverse and younger customer, how we source product from a supply chain perspective, Everything seems to be in flux. And what we've done at REI is we've been trying to be as resilient and as agile as we can be. So we'll set a way of working and operating for a period of time, let's say three to six months, and we'll come back and we'll reevaluate it and go again, just to try and figure out not only what is it that we're trying to accomplish, but are there better ways for us to go at it from a how perspective that we need to continuously be adjusting to? 
It's a little manic, right? Because there's so much volatility, but that kind of gets back, I think, to the mental aspect of what we're going through. I don't know that that's gonna change that much. I think we're gonna go through a cycle here for an extended period of time that's gonna be quite volatile and chaotic, and, and we're just gonna have to adjust to that. But yeah, every corner of the business feels like we're, we're turning it upside down. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking on the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Okay, so my next question is, so I did some research and I saw 20 years ago, REI opened up a store in Tokyo and it didn't work out so well. So you, I was You want one in Germany? Uh, yeah, that's why, that's why I'm asking <laughs> if there are any plans on expanding overseas in the near future or in the future in general. I was actually living and working in Tokyo when that store opened. So that's even, there's a different story there, but it was, I remember being in that store when it opened and I was working for another company. Here I am 20 years later working for the same company. So having lived abroad in both Europe and in Asia, I think perhaps one day there's an opportunity to take this model more broadly. It's not in the cards right now. I feel like, you know, we've got plenty of opportunity here to evolve within, you know, the United States and so much opportunity in terms of facing climate change and racial equity and so on that I don't think we'll put that on the radar screen for a while. I think it's a good idea and I'd love to be there. But sometimes there's only so many things you can do and tackle and do well. That will still be ahead of us. Okay, so here's another question from the audience. How does REI reconcile encouraging customers to buy more stuff and at the same time, with all the resource constraints and waste management challenges we have in society today, how do you, how do you reconcile those two issues? That is a profound question. And I think it gets back to the challenge that we have in the consumer product space that has fundamentally been built on a take-make-waste type of environment, right? And it's one that is growing. We aspire to grow. So the big challenge we face, and the essence of the question is, how do you decouple your growth from the carbons, your emissions, and your, your footprint on this planet? When we talk about taking on climate change, that's very center to our strategy and what we're working on. So take for an example, the resale used marketplace. We're having supply chain problems right now bringing virgin products, new products out of Asia. I believe sitting here today, if we could unlock all of the supply that sits in people's closets, boxes and garages, that's not being used from a bike and a, and a kayak and a car top box perspective, we could supply all the need that's out there. That's a beautiful model if we can be circular in our proposition versus everything we do must be a new product and we're gonna buy so much and we're gonna get it wrong that we're gonna then discount more product and, and continue to, to increase our footprint. So the re-commerce resale market is something we've pushed on in a big way. We've doubled our business, I think, in 20, 2020. We'll double our business again. We're experimenting with new formats and so on. So I think that's the greatest challenge, though, is how do you decouple your business growth, your carbon growth, with your business model? And the consumer model we have today is not sustainable. It has to change, and we want to be a leader in that conversation. So Eric, one of the reasons that I wanted to join the co-op was because of all the great things I had heard about the culture, the employee culture, culture of the organization. And as someone who's been there for 10 years and can now maybe step back and reflect on what some of those defining characteristics are and why they might have persisted, what would you share with the group? What do you think makes culture work at the co-op? Well, I think there's a kind of back to my personal experience of a calling and coming to REI. I think this idea of purpose and values is profound for people right now. We want to go to work and have an impact. We want our work to mean something. We want to have purpose in our step and, and know that when we are doing these tasks or analyzing this information that there's a positive outcome. At REI, we touch lives. We make lives better every day. We get people in the right gear. We help them get outside. We introduce them to new things. We give them confidence to progress in their journeys. That's profound. And I think that is very much of a common bound that brings us together. I think we're learning how to be more 
welcoming in our definition of purpose. In other words, when I came 10 years ago, the expectation was you were probably doing some mountaineering and hanging off of a rock from time to time. As I talk about a new customer and where we're trying to go, I think very much of our new CFO. She came to us just a little bit before COVID. Is she hanging off of a rock wall or putting a 30-pound backpack on her back every weekend? No. She cares about ocean health. That's her entry point. She knows that the work we're doing has meaning. So, you know, that's one of the big elements, I think, that, that creates draw and interest in working for REI. And a shameless plug, can I do this, Dean? We have 350 open positions right now, so if anybody in the audience is looking for some new work and wants to make a difference, we're open for business. I think the other piece is then, can I build skill? Can I develop my craft? Am I around people that inspire me and challenge me? Am I empowered to own and drive things? I think that's all part of the equation. And a new part of the equation, we were talking about this prior to the uh, event tonight, is you know, the workforce mobility. You can now live in Boulder and work for REI headquarters in Seattle, depending upon the role and a bunch of procedures you need to go through. But I think COVID, again, has kind of taught us that we can come together in very different ways than we have in the past. And I think we're the type of company that people recognize are going to be pushing those conversations and trying to be a leader in what the future might serve us. We'll just make sure all those positions are posted on Handshake, our employment <laughs> platform for students. There you go. Huh? All right, so my next question is, you know, in order to make resources for the outdoor accessible to everyone, what are you doing to address topics like racial equity and gender inequality, et cetera? Yeah, so our race and equity work, I think, again, kind of covers all levels. We think about our business, we think about consumers, and we think about advocacy, policymaking. When it comes to the business, I think it starts... We very much talk about working from the inside out. It begins with self. Me and all of our leaders work on bias. We have bias training, DEI training that we continue to progress our own personal journeys. It then manifests itself from a team perspective and so on out into the organization. So we're working just on our competencies to be able to understand, engage, and listen. I think it follows with we have to challenge ourselves to change our representation I don't think we're going to make the progress we aspire to make unless people of color can see a career path in the outdoor industry or see opportunities from a recreation perspective that are relevant to them. So we're working hard on those fronts. At the more societal level, we've just launched in the last week what we call the, the REI Cooperative Action Fund. It's a 501c3 public charity. I want you to think about that as a toolkit where if there are policy issues, if there are things at the local state national level that you care about, we're going to make it easy for you to engage and act on those opportunities with your congressional leaders or whatever it may be. So yeah, working at all levels, we're building and continue to expand our advisory councils and the support people that we have to make sure we're, we're hearing and listening. I will tell you maybe just one little story. The most profound experience that I've had, it was shortly after I became CEO in the spring of 2019, I did listening sessions with our employees on the East and West Coast, people of color. I just wanted to know, tell me. Tell me what it was like to come here. Tell me what it's like to work here. Tell me what life is like. And one of the most profound things a woman in South Carolina told me, and again, I'm, I'm kind of drawing back to an experience I had growing up. She said, Eric, do you know, do you understand that the woods is not a safe place for me. And that was a very hard thing for me to hear. I'm running, you know, the leading outdoor business in the country with a white background. The outdoors was everything to me. It was accessible all the time. I never thought it wouldn't be accessible to people. And to just hear and recognize that the lived experience of others has been so different. You know, she said, my, my parents, my grandparents, they don't want me to go there. Now, she was working at REI and, and so on, but those moments just kind of cause you to sit back and say, we can talk about initiatives and progress and representation percentages, but at the end of the day, it comes back to understanding the lived experiences of people and engaging and listening to you know, how we can help them in their outdoor life, uh, their connection to nature. And I think about those things a lot you know, when I think about your question. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the sale of the brand new headquarters in Bellevue last year. What were the main reasons and how did it impact your company and its employees? 
That's a great question. It goes a little bit back to some of the hardest decisions. In those early days, we didn't know. We turned off the taps, everything shut down. We were very healthy, in fact, incredibly healthy going into the crisis. But when you turn the taps off and you don't know how long they're gonna go off, everything's on the table. And what we were starting to see at the time is, my gosh, in two days, we moved from going to the office every day to working 100% remote. Our mobile, I'm still working from home pretty much every day of the week. And so 2,000 people are functioning at a very high level, not having to come together. Now, there are other things around culture and so on. but So it was opportunistic to some degree. We put all things on the table. We were going to protect our people. We were going to pay them and support them through furloughs and other things that we had to do. But we were going to position ourselves that hopefully as this thing ended, that we would be ready to invest, knowing that there would be opportunity on the other side of it. And again, we weren't that smart. We were opportunistic in the moment. But I am so thankful we did that because it restored our balance sheet and has given us the opportunity to do, to go build what we see, a 50 million member community that's engaged at all levels of our business our board just approved a historic level of investment in our business over the next three years of $1.2 billion. That's a big number for us. That's a lot of investment to modernize our business. How was that funded? Some of that was funded by making the hard choices in the moment, one of which is to sell our campus. I will say I'm still concerned about how to drive culture and connection. We're still learning that. Uh, we just went through a leadership conference last week. We brought our 400 top leaders together from a virtual perspective and it was phenomenal, virtually. And I don't know that I could have like, guaranteed that two weeks ago, three weeks ago. So I think we continue to learn about what this new world, what the experience is gonna be from a, a get your work done, get life done, and oh, by the way, let's, let's save the carbon and not be on the freeways for two hours a day, burning gas to get to and from, when we know we A, like those two hours to be more efficient and it's lighter on the planet. Okay, next question I have is, how can REI help to support a healthy outdoor industry that includes smaller and independent retailers, outfitters, manufacturers? Hey, I said that earlier, didn't I? I think it begins with the foundation of the industry and what I'm getting at there. It's public lands, it's stewarding green space. REI has had a long history of you know, working at the national and state level on the things that we care most about, which is public lands and, like I say, green spaces. The Great American Outdoors Act that was passed in 2020 was historic. The permanent funding of the Land, Water, and Conservation Fund. Why do I go there in terms of your question? Because everybody in the industry, the leadership positions that we take, the trips that I make to Washington to lobby for those things, everybody benefits from. And that's, that's a little bit the ethos of being a cooperative and, and being a community servant to the broader industry. I think we have expertise at scale because of our size around things like sustainability. So when REI comes out with product impact standards and sustainability requirements for the industry, we not only ask relative and demand from a requirements perspective, but we come alongside and we teach them support that's a very different kind of proposition. So it's an opportunity for us to be a leader on the things that we care most about, that the industry, broadly speaking, gets, gets benefit to come alongside or, or step into. So I think our give predominantly sits on building that foundation that we can all enjoy. And then there's plenty of opportunity, I think, for local competitors, niche players that do different things or have different products that are trying to innovate. And we need that part of the industry to be really strong because I believe that's where most of the innovation and most of the progression, I think, in our industry will ultimately come from. So we want to we make sure those businesses are as supported as they can be from what we do. And I think a, a slightly related question would be, what can REI or what is REI doing on the supplier diversity front? Do you have a program that specifically tries to support black, indigenous, female-owned businesses, et cetera? Yes, we're about to launch a new initiative. We've created a fund that's gonna focus exactly to your point on supporting people of color, entrepreneurs that are trying to get into the outdoor space. Our board just approved a large segregation of funds or appropriation of funds to that effort. So we expect over the long term by 2030 our supplier base 
to be representative of the population. What that translates to is 10% of our suppliers should be of owners of color in our sourcing mix. We're putting an effort behind that with an accelerator program to support those people. And it's, it's not just about money. It can be very much about capability and access and resource. And as a strategic player versus you know, a financial player, we can bring both capital and expertise to that conversation for owners that are trying to get off the ground and be successful. So on this topic of innovation in this space, I think one of the things that REI has always been you know, known for and has been unique is the non-gear offerings, right? Expert services, if you need your bike tuned or if you need your skis waxed or experiences, right? Guided travel or education, going to classes that REI hosts. How do you see the, the non-gear and apparel part of REI's business, you know, as you look forward, what do you see for that? Well, I'll go back to the new customer. There's nothing more than I would love than to meet our new customers outside in nature doing things together for the first introduction. If that's the way most people come to us at REI and then they eventually figure out what products they need and purchase from us, whether that be a new or a used product, that to me would be the holy grail for us to really transition our business more to a platform type of concept where you know, we are not only understanding where they are, meeting them where they are, but helping them progress their outdoor life. And then, oh, by the way, at some point we sell them some product. Today, that's a bit more flipped, as we know, but I think that will change. So there's a lot of stuff that we do that needs incredible expertise. I will guarantee you, if you need new hiking shoes, go to the second floor of the Seattle store and ask for Brandt. Brandt will sit you down and I don't care if you're going to Nepal for a week, you don't even need to break the shoes in. I will promise you that you will not get a blister because we have that type of expertise in a guy like Brent. I know that because I did that with my family when I took them on a trek that may have been a little bit too aggressive in Colorado a number of years ago. And with little girls and, and me, Brent got us in the right gear. So that type of expertise, I don't think can be fully replicated from a digital perspective or it's, it's in the heart and soul of the people that you were asking about. They know it. He looked at my foot and got me in the right boot. Like, let's go. He wouldn't let me walk away. Made me try on four more boots, but his first choice was the right one. That's priceless, you know. That's what I think the REI offering is all about, is sharing that expertise with people. Brand is a hilarious guy. So my next question is, what are the steps to ensure each brand that you work with meets those standards of quality, sustainability, affordability? Yeah, great question. We, uh, we have a set of product impacts, our product uh, compliance standards that we've had for a number of years. In fact, last year we updated it for race and equity requirements as well. So it's very specific about environmental, social compliance. We have teams in the field we're in auditing from time to time. And, you know, we are tolerant. We are teachers. We are patient. But we also mean what we say, and, and we say what we mean. So there are consequences to noncompliance. And we're coming up on a few of those types of things. Like right now, we're, we're almost on the doorstep of eradicating all of the inbound plastic that is used in products that come to us. If vendors do not comply with that, we'll part ways if we don't feel like they're operating in the best interest of society at large on some of these pressing issues. But it begins with you know, being clear about the standards, and I think for us, the second step is always to partner to help educate to open source what, what we do and share our expertise. So I was wondering, what is your best piece of advice to our students yeah, who want to have a successful career like you, maybe be CEO one day of a great company like you? What would that be? Careful what you wish for, buddy. Um, <laughs> at this stage of the career, I would be an advocate of go do, go try, go challenge. It took me a long time to figure this out. I was in my probably my late 40s at the time. I went through a personal coaching exercise. I did it because... I'm sitting here, I don't think it was a midlife crisis, maybe it'll sound like one, but I was sitting there as I think Chief Operating Officer of REI and I couldn't answer the question of why am I doing what I'm doing? Can somebody please help me understand why am I here, what am I doing? It was just a low point, kind of going through the trajectory of, of career and development. I understood the calling of REI, but why me, why here, why now? 
one of the exercises that we went through was to go back and really think about your values as an in individual and also think about where you want to be and the legacy you want to leave. And there were six words that became very impactful in that conversation for me. It was family, it was integrity, it was respect, it was challenge, growth, and fun. They seem like simple words, but to me they mean a lot. If I was to take those words and look back on my career, there were places where I lived those values, and there are places where I deviated from. When I was doing my best work and life was best, I was living those values. Part of being at REI enables me to hit all six of those in various ways in my definition of it. I want to be respectful. I would not have been able to sit in your shoes at this time in your career and be able to ask those things. That's why I say, like, to start out, challenge yourself, go do, go try. When you get comfortable, force yourself to get uncomfortable because those are the moments that you're, you're growing. And I did a lot of that in the early days, and as my career progressed, and I, you know, why do I sit here today? I kind of pieced it together and said, you know what? I really want to have an impact. This is really important to me. I want to become the CEO of REI if the, if the opportunity ever exists. That was not something that I set out to do, but those values guided me subconsciously for 45 years, and then with a lot of intention for, for the last, you know, however many it's been. So, speaking of your time as CEO at REI, right? This is a question you never want to get asked, but you get asked anyway. What do you think is the best decision you've made so far as CEO? Hmm. The best decision? I think the best decision was to shut our stores down. That again, doesn't that sound crazy when I say that? <laughs> like, oh, you're, you're running a retail machine, dude. You know, it's like... $3 billion trying to grow to four and you shut it down. That sounds real, real interesting. Now, granted, it was during the pandemic, but we didn't have to shut the stores down. But I think what it meant for us from a values, from a people perspective, when you're able to look back on it now, that was a super important moment for us and our people. They understood how we think about the world when we put them first. Yeah. Strange one to no, no, take over the reins barely a year in and say, hey, let's shut this thing down. Oh, by the way, last week it was really healthy and going like crazy. Good answer. Clay, you're next. So, Eric, I was wondering if you could kind of look outside REI a little bit for the audience. Just talk about, you know, are there things that you see happening in the world or in the retail industry that you think are kind of most germane to REI as you look to the future? Trends that you think are important, risks or challenges? Ooh la la. I do go back to the centering point of, you know, generational thinking and ensuring, you know, that what we leave for future generations is something very meaningful and we're proud of. I think a lot about 2050 and my daughters. I think about what the world's gonna be like at that time. And I know this because I work in an organization that's been around for 83 years. We go back and study those moments. I've studied the moment when the flagship store in Seattle was launched here. What were they thinking at the time? Why did they do that? The size of that building, where it was in the city, you put a pinnacle in there from a square footage perspective. You know, some of those things you would have said were crazy and uncommon at the time, but you know, what, what I think we face from a, Existential threat perspective is not only for REI, I think it's broadly speaking, relative to climate and racial equity. We have to, I think as a society, turn towards one another, even if we have differences coming from very different perspectives, it's all welcome, but at some point, we have to move to progress. And I think REI is uniquely positioned to be there or to be part of that conversation. Trends, I think you know, young consumers want that type of choice. I believe most want to buy from companies they respect, they feel speak their values. We see that in our business today. So I think that there's significant commercial realities to stepping into that space in a bold way. But that's, that's what consumes me more than any type of you know, trend or capability. It's really, how do you tie what's so important to our future to today and make a difference? And in the process, ensure that you have you know, a going concern, a business that can survive for another 80 years. Like I said, that third bullet on my values list was challenge. Unbelievable challenge, right, for business leaders at this time. But that's, 
that's why I do what I do, and that's why I enjoy, you know, working with you all to try and figure it out. Last question goes to you, Maya. Last question. All right. So, yeah, how do you see the company evolving in the future, and what are some of the major things that you're looking towards, I guess? Well, I'm looking to Clay. <laughs> I think this idea of membership, our center of gravity at REI is very focused or has been focused. Our muscle memory is all about the store experience. We are fundamentally moving to build a 50 million member community. We are moving the center of gravity of our business model to that. I mentioned things like climate change and so on, and new business models like the resale used part of the market. But that shift, that mindset shift, forget about strategy, the behavioral shift of an organization to move the center of gravity and all that muscle memory to uncomfortable, new, different, center of gravity that has a lot of risk associated with it is kind of you know the profound question and challenge in our business right now but we have amazing people with amazing backgrounds we're committed to it we actually see the green shoots in our business today we've been in membership for a while there's some pretty you know amazing things that we do behind the scenes sometimes not at the scale that it needs to be but we feel confident that we actually have the green shoots that almost prove where we want to go is doable but we got to go do it and it doesn't mean stores aren't going to be phenomenally important. It doesn't mean that Brandt isn't going to have an amazing career at REI. The end is all about you know, moving that center of gravity more towards that membership model. And, and that's what we've committed to do over the next three years. Join me in thanking Eric Arts for being here tonight with us, please. Thank you all. You've been listening to The Leadership Playbook, the podcast edition of the Albers Executive Speaker Series at Seattle University. If you enjoyed what you heard today, consider telling a friend and give us a good rating on iTunes. You can subscribe to our show for free on your favorite podcast app or find us online at leadershipplaybook.org. Find out who our next guests are by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm Joe Phillips, the Dean of the Albers School of Business and Economics, Thanks for listening.